That might work better. Um, beware. I'm even more fired up than normal for this. Just talking to a guy during the little social time who took it upon himself to do what Pastor Dennis has mentioned a couple of times. He, he, reading through First Peter while we study First Peter, but he's taking it to a whole new level. He, he, he's reading it, he's studying it, and he's listening on Sunday morning and make, making voluminous notes. And then when he goes to work on Tuesday, he leads a Bible study with about a dozen of his co-workers through First Peter. And I just go like, overseers, we, we couldn't design anything more fabulous than that. So, oh man, I'd love that to be contagious. I'm not saying you all have to do it, but it's just really extra super exciting to hear that it is. Would you pray with me and for me, Father? This is about truth. Yeah, this is about the truth. The ultimate truth. Help us. Please help us. See it in a way we've never seen it before. For some, maybe seeing it for the first time. Written by the Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, take it wherever it needs to go. Amen. Yeah, so let's get down to today's lesson. As usual, we have a lot of ground to cover and not enough time to do it justice, which illustrates how, in some ways, Sunday mornings here are kind of like a Bible version of what can happen at Baskin-Robbins. Bing! Bing! What we offer is kind of like the little stick there and the little bit that they give you with the hope that it gets you wanting more. Now, in case you haven't noticed, that more has to come during the other 166 hours of the week. You are not going to get very far in your walk with God if your only taste of the Bible comes when you're here which is a really disturbing thought, especially after reading something this week that showed less than three of every ten people in this country read their Bibles four or more times a week. And six of every ten people read a Bible four times a year or less. And that's the population in general. Less than half the people surveyed who said they were regular church attenders, said they read their Bibles more than once a week. And one in five said they never read their Bible at all. Now, another survey said when it comes to religious knowledge, atheists and agnostics and Jews and Mormons are outperforming evangelical Protestants and mainline Protestants and Catholics. Now, in the meantime, another study showed, on average, nine of every ten homes in this country has a Bible in it. And among those homes, the average home has four Bibles in it. About 
8 billion, B, billion Bibles have been printed around the world in the last 200 years. That would be about one Bible for every person on the planet today. And that does not include electronic or, or digital Bibles. And if you go to the Bible website, uversion.com, you can watch the number of downloads to date. And it was just under 209 million Bible downloads heading into the weekend. And uversion.com has over a thousand Bible versions in over 800 languages. And even though there are more Bibles on the planet than ever, it's being read less than ever, at least across this continent. And beyond that, I don't know if you've noticed this, the Bible is definitely not seen the way it once was, and people are, are mocking it far more harshly than ever. And I found this one report that said, for the first time since tracking began, Bible skepticism is tied with Bible engagement. The number of those who believe the Bible is just another book written by men that contain stories and advice, is now equal to the number of people who read the Bible at least four times a week and believe it is the actual or inspired Word of God. Now, another survey shows one in every five people who say they know the Bible consider it to be an ancient book of fables, legends, and moral precepts. Now, that introduction is a not-so-subtle illustration of why this series is called Hope in a Hostile World. And as you heard already, today we're starting our study of 1 Peter in chapter 1, verse 22, and it begins with a spectacular statement of hope. Having purified your souls. Now just pause for a moment and just draw a deep breath and just let that thought linger in your mind. Having purified your soul. After studying some of the nuances of the original language, I now see that is telling me, despite all the immoral, all the nasty gunk all around me all the time, my soul was purified and is being purified. And it says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. And the way that was originally written seems to refer to the first time your soul was purified when the Holy Spirit opened your heart to the truth as well as the Spirit's ongoing purifying work as you come to know and trust the truth more. Now, there are many ways we could talk about the truth Peter was referring to. This week, my thoughts went to something Peter's friend Paul wrote about how if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, 
you will be saved. However, as Paul also wrote, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in or by the Holy Spirit. So linking that to where we are in 1 Peter, I was not naturally inclined to take the step of obedience to surrender to the truth about Jesus. I am not naturally inclined to stay obedient. Thanks to the spiritual DNA that I and we all inherited from Adam and Eve left on our own, naturally, we are not able to and don't even want to remain obedient to the truth. And more than I've ever been, I am humbled by and grateful for the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And I believe the word supernatural is one we need to reclaim. More than I have ever been, I am humbled by, I am grateful for the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And that is why I particularly like the way one version of the Bible captured one line of Paul's. He said, God is working in you to make you willing and able to obey Him. Now, I don't know if this is the kind of place that says amen, but that would be a really appropriate place for one. Now, if I have to ask for it, Man, Peter mentioned the Holy Spirit early. Man, Peter mentioned the Holy Spirit often in this letter. Each time I read it, I sense how amazed Peter was by the Holy Spirit and how he had begun to see the Holy Spirit in the midst of like everything, including the Holy Spirit's part in the opening line of today's portion, having purified our souls. And then Peter pointed to one of the reasons the Holy Spirit did that, for a sincere brotherly love. Now, that little word for there, the word for, for, was a common one. It was used in all kinds of different ways, and in this case, it showed one of the Holy Spirit's purposes in purifying our souls is so that we become better at loving one another. Now, Peter took that statement about love and added a command, and he included some extra weight to it, and he wrote, love one another earnestly. Now, that word for earnestly was a really active word. Earnestly described someone who stretched out as far as he or she could, straining, really making an effort to reach someone or something. And in athletics, it describes someone who was giving everything he or she had. Peter said, actually it was God who said it to and through Peter, that's the way... We're supposed to love one another. 
So love, it was written in a way that meant keep on loving one another earnestly from a pure heart. Really? I mean, is that realistic? <laughs> is it possible? What about when you're having a bad day? What about when you're exhausted? What about when you don't know what would be really loving? What about when it has to do with someone you don't even like? I'm increasingly inclined to believe this ultimately has to do with how we approach God. Or at least it needs to start there. For example, picture a homeless guy who claims to believe in and love Jesus. He asks for a couple of bucks for lunch. What do you do? This week I met a guy at the Whittier campus who dared to really start wrestling with God over that very issue a couple of years ago. And it's turned into this really powerful, albeit painful, ministry with homeless people. Now, I'm not saying everyone needs to start or everyone needs to join a homeless ministry. It's just an illustration of why I believe really loving people needs to begin with turning to God. Then if I notice I am obeying or recall a time I have been obedient and or extended myself at least a little extra to love someone sincerely, I want my inner, I want my gut reaction to be something like, thank you, God. Man, God, I am so grateful for the way the Holy Spirit got me to do that. And, and, and I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit's getting me to be grateful. Because on my own, <laughs> I wouldn't even be pausing to do this. Thank you, God and Holy Spirit. Please keep me tender. Please keep me humble. Please keep me open. See, I want humility and I want gratitude to continue to become my default responses any time I obey, especially because we're called to consistently walk in obedience and love, and that will not happen naturally. So if I am consistently obeying God, and, and loving on people, and in the rhythm of thanking God for it, something supernatural has to be going on. Now, there are a lot of people who do extremely loving things, but don't care at all about God. Or they think doing things is the way to get to God. That breaks God's heart as much as anything because they think they're doing it all on their own. 
Or they think they have to do it all on their own. Or they do it so they get the credit or at least a little thank you note. But what about when I don't want to be obedient? <laughs> what about when I don't want to be loving? Is it faking it? And is faking it pleasing to God? I mean, didn't Peter say I'm supposed to be sincere? Well, as much as anything, that's why I believe this ultimately has to do with our approach to God first and most. When I notice myself not wanting to obey love, God is the first one I need to be sincere with. That means I'll often have to admit things like, God, I'm not feeling very loving right now. You know how much that person bugs me. Seems pretty clear what I'm supposed to do or say, but sincerely, honestly, God, I don't want to. Help. Help can be one of the most effective prayers. <laughs> then, as I get into the rhythm of that kind of ongoing inner communication with God, I believe I'll begin to add things like, God, I'm starting to realize having all of this going on inside of me seems to show me how the Holy Spirit wants to continue to transform the purely me part of me. So I'm hoping he will also help me actually do this thing that I really don't want to do. Even if I don't feel like doing it, God, I'm going to do it. And God, I admit that kind of feels fake in human terms, but I want to be honest about it with you. So as I do it, help me to believe it's a way to have the Holy Spirit moving more freely in me and even transforming me through me doing it. And as these thoughts began to form in my mind this week, I began to see something Paul wrote in a way I never had before, something I had always kind of struggled with or at least questioned. It's when he wrote, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. See, opportunities to love come at us constantly. So we need to, if you will, stay online constantly with God. And a sincere inner dialogue with God can help immeasurably as we seek to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, some versions of the Bible have a period there. This one has a comma. The original language doesn't have the kind of punctuation marks we have, so it can be particularly challenging to figure out when a writer was excited enough to want an exclamation mark or puzzled enough to 
want a question mark or wanted to pause a thought with a comma or completely stop a thought with a period. It seems as though Peter's thoughts kept flowing from his comments to love into verse 23, where he wrote, since, now a few versions have the word because, you've been born again. See, it seems like God was telling Peter to tell us, since you've been born again, your life should continue to become different than it was, especially the way you interact with, you you think about, you feel about, you talk about other people who have been born again. And, And remember, this is coming from Peter, I mean, a guy who had been blunt, often hot headed, reckless, sometimes abrasive guy who snapped at and cussed out a servant girl, even cut the ear off a servant guy. As much as anyone in history, Peter was amazed. Peter was humbled by his new birth and the new life it led him into. He was as sure as anyone could be he did not deserve it, and he could not make it happen on his own. And I can picture the amazement and the humility in him as he wrote about how it came and comes through the living and abiding Word of God. Living. That word meant a lot more than just having a pulse. More than he ever could have dreamed, Peter was experiencing what he had once heard Jesus say when he said, I came that you, look around in here, say, he came, now look at somebody else. He came, I'll give you the words, you look at somebody else. He came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Abiding meant dwelling, meant enduring, ultimately eternally. Peter seemed to want to make sure we know he was talking about something that was not perishable, but imperishable. The living and abiding Word of God. Now, there are all kinds of opinions, all kinds of debates among Bible commentators and other scholars over what Peter meant by the Word of God. Um, Some scholars say he was thinking about the words that eventually became what we call the Old Testament. It had been at least 1,500 years since the first of those words were written. Some scholars say he also would have had in mind words that eventually became the New Testament. By the time Peter started writing this letter, nine or ten other New Testament books or letters had been written. Some of the people wrote to had likely seen or heard some of those letters. Now, some scholars say if you look at Acts 2 and the infamous day of Pentecost, 
it is possible some of the people Peter wrote this to had actually been way over in Jerusalem on that day of Pentecost and, and may have heard or heard about some of Jesus' last words. And, and they may have been there when the Holy Spirit literally blew in to begin His new ministry. And if you notice, in his opening line to this letter, Peter specifically mentioned people from Pontus, Cappadocia, and Asia, and those places are also mentioned in Acts 2.19. Some scholars point out it had been about 30 years since the Holy Spirit was unleashed into his new ministry, so people were hearing him speak in supernatural ways. And on top of all of that, in about 20 years, John would write his first book, which he began by referring to Jesus as the Word made flesh. So what was Peter referring to when he wrote about the living and abiding Word of God? Huh, I think we need to back up. Spoiler alert, that shouldn't be there. Can you go to the one? There we go. What was Peter referring to when he wrote that? Well, I believe the answer is likely E, some mixture of all I just mentioned. The truth about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit communicated. Then, following words like living and abiding, Peter got back into this contrast of what lasts and what doesn't last by quoting something God told, I, I, he told Isaiah to shout 700 years earlier, and that is all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. That verse hurts immeasurably more at 52 than it did when I was 32. All flesh. In this case, the word he used referred to the human body. And although not bluntly stated, even if you do extreme Pilates four hours a day, follow those, the most meticulously healthy diets you can find through Google, from biceps to bladders, if it's a body part, it will eventually give in to gravity. <laughs> now I know where the La Habra campus is at spiritually. I finally get a spontaneous amen, and it's about leaky bladders. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, <laughs> if, yeah, and we just, just so you know, they just started videoing this to put online. Just in case listening to me is not enough. Um... Yeah, so if it's a body part, gravity wins. If it's an organ, 
It's experiencing a variety of forms of withering. Don't get me started on skin, especially the scalp. Many scholars believe Peter would have been in his mid-60s when he wrote this. That was pretty old back then. So if you add that to the kind of life Peter lived, especially in the 30 years or so since he met Jesus, he would have known all about his flesh perishing and withering and falling. So likely after hearing this quote from Isaiah throughout his entire Jewish life, he must have grown very excited by the little conjunction near the end of it. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. (laughs) But... Now, if your grammar's a little rusty, that's the conjunction. But what? Wow, you give an amen over bladders and you over the word of God lives forever. But what? I can't make that matter to anyone. I can't make that matter to anyone like it seemed to matter to Peter. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And it seems as though the older I get, the more I understand it, and the more I long to see what it really and fully means. So I pulled out my message version of the Bible to see what Eugene Peterson did with this. And something really stirred inside me when I saw a cross-reference to something very similar in one of Paul's letters. And I'd invite you to read this with me. Would you do that? We know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven. God-made, not handmade and we'll never have to relocate our tents again. And sometimes we can hardly wait to move. And so we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack, and we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing our true home, our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetites by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so we'll never settle for less. Then, as much as any line in the Bible, I sense God wanting what Peter wrote next to go straight to the heart of anyone who has ever heard any of this. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And as powerful and as convicting as that statement has become to me, 
It almost always used to get lost when I read the whole letter because what Peter wrote next never used to make any sense to me. I mean, it made sense, but until this week, I couldn't figure out why he followed. The Word is the good news that was preached to you, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. See, the first statement seemed to kind of get lost because the second thing just didn't seem to fit. The word for put away was also used to describe like peeling off dirty clothes and throwing them off to the side. It's like what I have to do with my running clothes and shower and put on clean clothes before I can expect a good hug from Beth after a long, hard run. Peel off and throw to the side. And while it struck me as a pretty cool image, it still didn't really seem to fit with this word is the good news that was preached to you. And then I started realizing this word has something to do with the stripping away. Somehow, the Holy Spirit, as as we read this, He uses this to strip things away. Finally, on Friday night, after wrestling with Peter about this for like three days, that's when this little light started to go on my head. Because that statement and command, love one another earnestly, was kind of still echoing in my mind. And then those two verses back to back began to look like they combined to issue a significant challenge. And in my head, it began to sound something like, what difference is what you claim to believe really making in your life? That was when I began to see what Peter was calling for as the kind of thing that could only happen supernaturally. And I began to pray, Holy Spirit, help me put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Put away all. You've probably heard hundreds of pastors say this, but do you know what the word for all meant in the Greek? All. All. So put away all malice. That referred to a desire to hurt someone, even a little, whether with actions or words or just picturing it in your mind. Malice almost always grows out of bitterness or resentment. Put away all deceit. Peter, the fisherman, had a lot of experience with that word. It meant to bait the hook, to trick someone. It often doesn't feel quite like lying. It's more like luring someone into believing something that isn't true. Put away most hypocrisy. Huh? Oh, rats. Hypocrisy, the word came from the Greek theater, referred to putting on a mask, playing a part, had to do with someone who tries to look like he or she is someone he or she really is not. 
Put away all envy. Man, that shows up in grass huts, in some of the poorest villages on the planet, but it is uniquely challenging around here. And it walks very close besides slander because it can mean to speak down about someone. I don't know if you've noticed, very often the people you envy, you're a little bit more inclined to speak down about them. Gossip, rumors, cheap shots. If Peter were around today, he wouldn't limit it to something spoken. He would include texts. He would include Facebook. He would include Instagram. He would include tweets. And thanks to what we all inherited from Adam and Eve, we are naturally drawn to all five of those things. So it's as though Peter took a few moments to get very specific in his call to a supernatural life. And then he issued another challenge. And he drew on some particularly emotional words and a some really graphic imagery. And and for whatever it's worth, I don't believe Peter could have had any real idea we would each be able to freely have one of these. And as I said, average home has four of these. I do believe if Peter were here today, he would see this as a crucial part of his last line for today. A regular, steady, consistent part of the real Christian life. And I turned to the version I got my first full Bible in for Peter's closing line in this portion. He said, long to grow up. into the fullness of your salvation. Cry for this as a baby cries for milk. Let me ask you, at this point in your journey, do you long for that? Do you long to continue to grow up into the fullness of your salvation? Is your soul crying out for it? If so, thank God for that. Wow, that's a really complex practical application. Thank God for it. If if your soul is crying out, to continue to grow up. Thank God for that. Often. Is there barely a whimper for it for you? Maybe right now, this point in the journey? Does the longing seem all but gone? Does there seem to be something there, but you just don't really know what, and yet you don't really care enough to pursue it? 
dare to ask the Holy Spirit to breathe life into you or maybe to breathe fresh life into you. And Father, the last thing in this portion that Peter wrote says, if we indeed have tasted that you are good. We talk about your goodness a lot. We sing about your goodness a lot. Holy Spirit, one thing I'd ask is that you breathe through this place and breathe through people in this place and for at least a few moments remind us of some very specific times we saw the goodness of a father. Remind us of times we've tasted. Remind us of times we've just known. Holy Spirit, one of the last things Jesus said is that it was going to be better for him to go away so that you could come, and one of the things you would do would be to teach and to remind and to comfort. So, Holy Spirit, teach us, show us, remind us of the times we've tasted and known. And for those in this place who have specific things that are coming to mind and there are smiles in their souls, may they pause for just a moment to say thanks, Father. For those where it seems kind of dusty and the memory seems far too distant, that's where I would pray. I would plead, Holy Spirit, that you would breathe. Maybe new life, if that's what it takes. Maybe renewed life, if that's what it takes. Thank you.